symbols. I wanted to bring up a, a bunch of different symbols for you to kind of have some show and tell, but I mean, I think I can just say a couple, you know, Nike. You know, I mean, everyone knows what Nike's the symbol is. You know what it stands for. You know, the swoosh. Just do it. Um, a swastika. And that's a pretty big symbol. But you think about some of those symbols and like a swastika, and it's it's more it's more than just a picture. I mean, it means something. There is a depth of meaning behind it that is unfortunate, that's sad, that's a past reality. I mean, for some neo-Nazis, it's a current reality. It's something that we celebrate anniversaries of, some of these wars. We remember what's happened, all the lives that were lost because of an ideology. I mean, you think about symbols and what they can stand for. I mean, even around here, in our area, think of the rebel flag. I mean, how, you know, just in the past couple of years, how so many people around here fought for that and did not like their freedoms being taken away on the state level that, you know, we're going to take off, take out these statues and we're going to remove the Confederate flag and the things that have happened even in our own time, last year, last two years, lately. You think about these symbols, what they stand for. For so many of us, there is meaning all around it and behind it, and it's more than just the picture. It's more than just the flag. So maybe too should it be when it comes to baptism. When you think about baptism, so often, because of some of what I've mentioned over the past couple weeks, some of the concern that we have about making baptism too much of a thing, that baptism becomes less of a thing than it should be, that it becomes only a symbol, that it's only something that stands for something else that it doesn't have any inherent value in and of itself, that it doesn't mean anything, it's actual act, that we play it off and say, ah, you know, it's just a thing that we have to do. Now, I'm not going to spend our time together trying to convince us of some particular thing about it. What I'm going to do today is what I really intentioned to do a couple weeks ago when I really only meant to have one sermon on baptism, and basically... Help us to understand what it does symbolize, what it does mean. Um, and so we're just going to go through a, f- a few different uh, things that it does represent and, uh, and symbolize um, so that we can have a better understanding of, of the thing itself. So we're going to start by reading from Romans chapter 6. We're going to do verses 3 and 4 to start off. The first thing that we're going to see, especially from Romans chapter 6, is the actual physical act what the picture is? Like physically, what is happening? And that's best described, I think, um, in Scripture in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 or 4. Verses 3 and 4, it's the death, and burial, and resurrection that is symbolized in the picture of baptism as we're immersed. So, Romans chapter 6, we'll read verses 3 and 4. 
Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Oftentimes, when people are baptized, um, these are the things that will be said. Um, you know, the oftentimes the, the phrases that are used are, I, I bury you, my brother, or I bury you, my sister, um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then whenever they're going down, I'll say, buried with him in baptism or buried with Christ in baptism. And then when we're bringing them up out of the water, we'll say, raised to walk in new life. You know, we'll actually say these words that Paul has written here in, in Romans chapter 6. Because as we do immersion, as we do lower people down into the water, that's the picture of people being lowered into a grave, being buried, dying. And then it's also a picture of them not just staying there, but being raised to life. What he says here in verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? I mentioned this last week, and so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but this is a spiritual work, what Paul is referencing here. And some would say that what Paul is mentioning, what he's writing about, what he's referencing is water baptism. But I think he is referencing spiritual baptism. And here's the main reason why. He's talking to those of us, as it says there, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So some would say, see, that's what they did in Acts. They baptized people in the name of Jesus. But I'd say precisely, that's the distinction. So we, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16 Acts 10.48, Acts 19.5, Acts 19, excuse me. In all of those places, people are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They are not baptized into Christ. And once again, you may think that's a splitting of hairs, but that's not the same thing. And we'll talk about this next verse more in a second, but 1 Corinthians 12.13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Right, that's Paul again referencing the spiritual baptism that has happened to you through the work of none other than the Holy Spirit himself. God himself has entered you into Christ. It is something done to you, which like I said, we referenced last week. And it's good for us to focus on this because too often we think about ourselves when we think about our salvation. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that God is the one who has made us alive together with Christ. It is from the grace that he has poured into our hearts that we respond in faith. And our response of faith is then followed by a willing subjection to obey him, a desire to live as he has instructed us. And that begins with baptism. Baptism, as we see it, as we understand it, is seen as the initiatory event in the life of a believer. It is the first act of obedience. So while it is something done to us, it is clearly also something that we willingly submit to. In it, we are declaring our identification with Christ and his church. 
So the first sort of point of what it means, what it symbolizes, is death, burial, and resurrection. The second one is that what I just mentioned, identification with Christ and his church. We could also say union with Christ. And that's really what what Paul is writing about here in Romans 6, is our union with Christ. And we talked about that more when we were going through Romans. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, I'm sure you can go back and listen to some of those sermons or just read the rest of chapter 6 and 7 and 8. We can see more about our union with Christ in context. But what we are doing is we are identifying ourselves with Christ in this, in this baptism. Right? Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That union with Christ, this is what it represents. This is what the Holy Spirit has done for us. He has united us with Christ. We are one with him. And this is a symbol that represents that union with him. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, which I referenced a minute ago, Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Unity in the midst of diversity is such a key to our lives as Christians and as a church. But there can be no unity in the church if that unity is not centered on Jesus Christ. He is our common denominator. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our head. Who we are and what we do flows from him. And this is what baptism pictures. We are one with him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our new life. And if we identify with him, then we also identify with others who identify with him. Read verse 13 again of 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We each have different manifestations, gifts, workings of the spirit. But we all have the same spirit, because we are all united to the same Christ, who sent that spirit to be our helper, our teacher, our comforter, our friend, our guide. Publicly identifying ourselves with Christ through baptism should then also flow into publicly identifying ourselves with others who are also united to Christ. When I was baptized as a professing kid, I was automatically entered into membership in my church. It was just simply a given. Now, there were complications that came with that, like when we were building a new sanctuary and they let the church vote on whether to install pews or theater seats. Needless to say, the youth in the crowd completely swung the vote in favor of theater seats. And you could tell because we were all sitting together. So it was just a massive hand that went up in the middle of the gym that voted for the theater seats. Right now, 
Just a fun consequence of the reality that professing baptized youth ought to be included as part of the body, part of the church. Now, whether or not they get to vote, or they ought to get to vote on such matters as seating in a new sanctuary is another discussion for another time. But the point is this, if you identify with Christ in baptism, by default, you are identifying with a local expression of his body, the church. To identify with Christ and not identify with the local church is foreign to the New Testament and an unhealthy practice. Getting baptized and not joining the church is like taking your driving test at the DMV, passing it, but then never finishing the paperwork to get the license. I just wanted to prove that I could drive, but I'm not going to drive. You submit to the initial expectation, but have no continual public identification to continue signifying it. You don't actually get the ID card that comes with it. That's just not how it's supposed to work. Those who identify with Christ initially ought to continually identify with Christ and with his body, the church. It is a picture of one becoming a part of the many. A picture of one becoming part of the many. The next thing that I would say, we've talked about it's a a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. It is a picture of our identification with Christ and with his church, of union with Christ. Baptism also represents a washing away of sins, a purification. I'll just read a few verses. Acts twenty two sixteen, Ananias says this to Saul, who we know is the Apostle Paul, in one of Paul's accounts that he's giving as he talks about his testimony in Acts 22. Ananias says this to Saul, Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Ephesians 5 25 through 27, Paul is talking to husbands and wives. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Titus 3, 4 and 5, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Baptism, as a picture, represents death, burial, and resurrection, our identification with Christ and his church, our union with Christ. It's a washing away of sins. It pictures, it identifies, a purification. One thing that I don't think we often think about is this next picture. It's a passing through the waters of judgment. A passing through the waters of judgment. It's one of the reasons why we read from Genesis chapter 7 for our scripture reading before the sermon. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Peter writes this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. When you are reading about baptism in the epistles, more often than not, think primarily of spiritual baptism. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2 in this point. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And when you think about that, maybe you've done your Bible reading so far this year and you read through Exodus and you think, I don't remember anyone being baptized into Moses. That's not what it says in Exodus. That's what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 10, so if they weren't physically baptized into Moses, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a spiritual baptism then. That or Paul knows something that was not recorded in Scripture that he's referencing that none of the rest of us know anything about. One interesting thing to note in what I read from 1 Peter 3, Peter says that baptism corresponds to the people in the ark. But the people in the ark didn't actually get wet. That's kind of the whole point of the story. I mean, I'm sure they got wet, but like, you know, not they weren't actually in the floodwaters. Because if they were in the floodwaters, they would have died like everybody else. They went through the flood, but they were in the ark. So they didn't themselves experience the death that everyone else did. They were raised above the waters without ever being in the water. So now we are in Christ. We have been baptized spiritually into Christ. So the death he died, we died with him. We identify with him in the waters of judgment that he went through. Just like Noah and his family were in the ark, so now we are in Christ. And being in Christ is what saves us. Christ is our ark. Trust in him and you won't plunge to the depths of the sea, which would be sure spiritual death. Right? I mean, that's the picture that you get for the Egyptians in the Exodus as the people of Israel have crossed through the Red Sea on dry land. But then what happens to the Egyptians in Exodus 14? They all are drowned. God is judging Egypt. And one way that he judges Egypt is by killing them in the Red Sea. Think about Jonah. How was Jonah judged? And what's Jonah a picture of, as Christ himself says? I mean, there are some people, some commentators who say that maybe Jonah actually died when he was thrown overboard as he was disobedient to God. And that, I mean, that could be true. And then this giant fish, this great fish, swallows him up, and he is in the belly of that fish for three days. Now that's a picture of the judgment that Jonah went through. 
That's a picture of the judgment that Christ went through. And then the resurrection that Jonah had, so to speak, the coming out of the water, is like what Christ had those three days. Christ himself alludes to that. So we too have passed through the waters of judgment. We have died. Our old selves have died. Spiritually, we are new. We are different. This is not the same. Lastly, we'll say, so baptism represents death and burial and resurrection. Baptism represents an identification with Christ, union with Christ in his church. It pictures the washing away of sins, purification. It pictures passing through the waters of judgment. And then it pictures confession of sin and profession of faith. Too often we want to be identified with Christ, but we are not willing to admit why we need him. People want the benefit of Christ without the acknowledgement of what he accomplished. This is why we don't just let anyone get baptized. Without a credible profession of faith, which by default would include a confession of sin and guilt, then why would we paint this picture in front of everyone else of death to sin and new life in Christ? New life in Christ only follows from death. Jesus talks about this when he's teaching his disciples. John chapter 12, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These are some of the pictures that we get. And it all begins with that acknowledgement that before a good and holy God, we have sinned. We have failed him. We have not desired to live in the way that he has designed for us. He made it clear who he was and what he expected, and we said, we think there is a better way. But God was still merciful toward us. Like, Jonah, who ought to have been rightfully killed and drowned in that sea and never come back on land. God was merciful to him as he's been merciful to us by helping us, opening our eyes to see, opening our ears to hear the truth of the gospel that he has sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins, to take upon the wrath of God himself so that we don't have to pay that cost. But if we don't acknowledge that those were our sins that Christ died for, that we ought not to be living in that same way, that our life needs to change to be different, we need a new and different life that only God can give. If we don't Acknowledge that. What are we thinking we're getting 
just by simply doing an act like baptism. But God has opened our eyes to see, and he has clearly shown us. We have been able to recognize the truth of his word and that he did send Christ for us, and now we respond in repentance and faith. We say, I am no longer walking down that old life's pattern. That path is no more. The new path, this newness of life has been born into me, and it is pictured in this baptism that I have willingly submitted to to identify myself with Christ, to say, yes, his death is my death. He died because of my sins, and I'm dying to my sins. And I am no longer going to keep living the same way that I have been. Things are, are changing. Things are going to be different. Our response to the gospel begins with repentance and faith. Without that, baptism is meaningless. But when you have repentance and faith, and you see that Christ has commanded us to do this, this act of baptism, and you realize all the, all the pictures, all the symbols that it, that it brings out, it gives it that much more depth of meaning And when we, I think rightly, tie it into our initiation, so to speak, into the body of Christ, to identify ourselves with other people who have identified with Christ, it becomes an event that we can all celebrate, not just because, hey, you obeyed this single command. I mean, we don't typically say, oh, hey, good job. You, you know, didn't make a golden calf today. Great job. You know, it's a, it's a little bit more than that. It's a way of us saying, for now and evermore, this is who I am. And I am this because of Christ. And what a great thing that we don't do alone this act of baptism, but we do it in front of one another. We do it as part of the community of believers. That's why this is an ordinance of the church. That's why typically when we do communion, we do it as a part of the church. When we celebrate baptism, we do it as part of the church. This is something that we're able to celebrate together, the pictures that it represents, a symbol that it is, the meaning that it has. And so I'm glad that Christ has given it to us and that we are continuing to obey his command to do it. And I pray that as we continue to reach out to the people around us, that we're able to bring more people into the fold of Christ's body, that more people are able to hear the gospel proclaimed and respond in repentance and faith, 
and that we're able to celebrate with them when they publicly declare that and when they take that step of saying, I want to identify myself with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to identify myself with his church. I want to identify myself as having died, gone through the waters of judgment. That my sins have been washed away. Though my sins were like scarlet, they're now white as snow. This is what, this is what we want to see. This is what I, I believe all of us want to see in here. So that more people would come to faith. That more people would honor God with their lives. So that the spread and reach of the gospel here in Abingdon and around the world would be impacted would be furthered because of our willingness to obey his commands, to go and make disciples, to teach them to obey all that he has commanded us, and to baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for being able to round out this discussion of baptism and and look specifically at some pictures of what baptism is and how we can think about it positively. We, we want to see more people baptized because we want to see more people come to have received you as their Lord and Savior, to have responded to the proclamation of the gospel in repentance and faith. So God, would you make the times that we proclaim the gospel effective? Would your spirit work in the hearts of those that we are talking to? Would you give us, as we saw in the prayer from Acts chapter 4, as we began our service, that you would grant us boldness, and that after they prayed that prayer for boldness, they continued to speak to one another and to their family and friends with boldness about Jesus Christ and his gospel. God, give us boldness to proclaim the truth of your word, to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and just the beauty that living life with you is how it brings a depth of meaning that is beyond comparison and that is sure and steady when everything around us and everything else around us is sinking sand and unstable. God, help us to stand on the rock with boldness and to see people around us be changed, to be brought from death to life. God, would you do this work and would you use us to do it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.